Well, today uh, we're continuing in a, a message series about spirit-empowered living from the book of 1 Corinthians, and today's message is entitled Rejecting Cultural Idols. And so to begin, we need to talk about what is an idol. What is an idol? Well, an idol is anything that is worshipped or served other than God. And so with that definition, an idol is something that's been created. Uh, there's only one uncreated, we'll say, being really in the universe or thing or whatever. It's God. God is the creator. Everything else has been created. You and I have been created. The chairs that we sit on have been created. This building has been created. Everything else has been created. The earth that we live in has been created. Now, today in America, we tend to think of idols as little carved statues that are worshipped in primitive lands. And so they really don't apply to us today or so that's what we think. But yet an idol can be, can be anything. Anything that has been created either by God or by man. An idol can be the sun, the moon, the stars. Some people still worship the celestial um, things that God has created. They can be idols. People can be idols. Money can be an idol. Pleasure can be an idol. Power can be an idol. Idols don't have to be intrinsically bad things. They, they can even be what we would consider good things. You can make your job an idol. You can make your family an idol. And so what makes something an idol that is worshipped? An idol is something in our lives that is more important to us than God. And so we have God and the other things in our lives, the good things, should be below God. God should be first place in our lives. Now when something, even a good thing or a bad thing, goes above God, and that's the most important thing in our lives, that is an idol. And that's what we want to avoid. We're going to talk more about that. Whatever is the most important thing in your life, that is what you worship. We want that most important thing to be God. Now everybody, you think, well, some people don't worship at all. Well, everybody worships something or someone. Uh, and God commands us to worship Him alone. When we worship or give something a higher priority than Him, that thing or person Whatever it is becomes an idol to us. And so therefore, in the world today, we really have two kinds of people. There are believers who worship Jesus and unbelievers who worship idols, whether they realize it or not. Those are really the two options that people have as to what they worship. Romans 1.25, and these verses are written out in the white page in the middle of your bulletin. And uh, there should be up on this screen here as well. Romans 1.25 says they, speaking of unbelievers, exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. And so why would people choose to worship created idols rather than God? Well, this scripture tells us, first of all, they believe a lie. And what is the lie? That worshipping idols somehow is better for them than worshipping God. That's not true. Perhaps they believe they are worshiping God when they're worshiping idols. 
And there's a lot of people like that. There's a lot of religions in the world other than Christianity. People think they're worshiping God when they're worshiping with other religions. In every religion, though, in every religion except biblical Christianity, they are worshiping something other than the one true God. They're worshiping idols. Secondly, the reason that people worship idols is that there is actually a supernatural power behind them. There's a demonic power behind idols. Talks about this in Psalm 106. Speaking of the nation of Israel, it says, but they mixed with the, uh, the nations and learned to do as they did. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. They poured out innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. Now, this, these verses refer to the nation of Israel living in the land of Canaan. They turned from worshiping God alone. They began to worship the idols of the people, the Canaanites, that had lived there before them. And the worship of those idols led them to sacrifice their own children to these idols. And it says to the demons behind them. And so when innocent blood is, is shed in the worship of demons, the land is defiled. And I'm sad to say that really the same thing is happening in America today. People worship the idols of money, career, pleasure, and they choose to serve those idols by sacrificing their unborn children through abortion. And America has been polluted with the blood of the sacrificed unborn. Romans 12, 2 tells us, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so the world around us seeks to to pressure us as believers to worship idols of all kinds. And we must resist that pressure, not being conformed to the world. We must speak out against it. We must learn to live and follow in God's perfect will. Every sin that anyone ever commits really is the result of worshiping an idol and believing its lie. And so today we're going to learn more about rejecting cultural idols and worshiping God alone as we go to our study from 1 Corinthians beginning in chapter 9 today. I'm going to begin by talking about running the race of life to win. 1 Corinthians 9.24 says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize, so run that you may obtain it. We're going to come back to idols in a minute, but we're going to first talk about this race. It all is going to fit together, I hope, by the end of the message. As a believer, each of us is in a race. It's the race of life. It begins when we're born. The race of life ends when we pass on. So there's a beginning and an end. In an ordinary race, only one runner receives the first place prize. And we're encouraged in this verse to run in such a way that we receive our prize. Now, as believers, if we finish the race, we're going to receive the prize. We're going to talk about that in the next verse. But what would keep us from finishing the race and receiving our prize? Well, think about an ordinary race. What stops a runner from reaching the end of the race? Well, they could just quit. <laughs> it's too hard. I quit. Okay, you quit in the race. You're not going to 
get to the end, you're not going to finish. A second way you might not finish the race is you could be disqualified. You could do something that breaks the rules. I don't know exactly what that might be. I think in some long races you could take a shortcut. You know, go outside the course uh, and have a little shorter distance than the other runners. And if they find out, you'll be disqualified and you won't win first place. You won't win anything. Right, Mike? That's right. So both of those things would prevent us from finishing the race. Now, unbelievers are really not in this race that Paul is talking about at all. Uh, they haven't really started this race because we'll talk about what's at the end. You start the race when you believe in Jesus. And so how can we run this race to win the prize? Well, he tells us in verse 25, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Now, in the uh, Greek races or the things that Paul was familiar with, they, the winner would receive a wreath, a laurel wreath would be put on their heads. I think we see that sometimes in pictures. Um, you know, we receive a ribbon with a medal hanging on it, but back then you got a, a wreath on your head. In an ordinary race, the athlete or runner has to exercise self-control both when he trains for the race and as he runs the race. Now the prize that we as believers are aiming for is not a, a wreath that's going to perish. It's an imperishable prize. And Paul is talking about the prize of eternal life. And of course, as believers, it's not we're all in a race and only one of us is going to get the prize. If you finish the race as a believer, you're going to receive the prize. And so many believers, or all true believers, are going to receive this prize at the end of the race of eternal life. So how do we exercise this self-control that we need to finish the race? Verse 26, Paul says, So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest, after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. And so Paul is saying that he runs with purpose. He runs with self-discipline. He, he runs keeping the goal in mind. I mean, he uses another metaphor of boxing. You know, if you're boxing somebody, you just don't punch the air. You need to aim your blows. And uh, that's similar to running with the goal in mind. The opposite of running uh, with self-control, keeping the goal in mind, um, the opposite of running aimlessly is to run with purpose. And as we'll see as we go into the next chapter, we must run so that we do not give into temptation. Now, one of the interesting things about this verse is Paul, arguably the greatest church planter, the greatest apostle who's ever lived. He said that he had to guard himself against some sin that would disqualify him from finishing the race and receiving the prize. If you're disqualified, you're removed from the race. You won't receive the prize of eternal life. And that would be devastating. You'd be off the track. And so the warnings in Scripture against falling away from the faith are, are very real. Paul acknowledged it personally in this verse. And so we must run the race to win. Let's talk a little bit more about this self-control. We need to finish the race and receive the prize. If we read in Galatians, self-control is one of the fruits of the Spirit. 
It grows as we walk with God. And I believe there are two aspects of self-control. The first aspect is to keep our focus, to keep our eyes on the end goal, which is eternal life with Christ. And that's what Paul said he was doing, keeping his eye on the end goal. And there's many scriptures talking about fix your eyes on Jesus. Keep looking at him. Keep following him. Engage in the training that will build your relationship with Jesus, that will build your relationship with God. And so that's the positive aspect of self-control. And it's true in a race. You know, you, you train with a goal to finishing that race. Now, the other aspect of self-control is to resist anything that could impede you running the race or might disqualify you. This has to do with resisting temptation. Resisting temptation from idols. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. So let's come back now to focusing on the goal at the end of the race. One of the ways that I like to think about it is that at the finish line, Jesus is standing there. And He's cheering us on. He's waiting for us to finish the race. And that is the goal. Because we want to hear Him say, well done, Good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your heavenly Father. And so we must keep our eyes on Jesus throughout life. Just as Peter, as he stepped out of the boat, in the midst of the storm and the waves crashing, as long as he kept his eyes on Jesus, he walked on the water. When he took his eyes off Jesus, he began to sink. And when we take our eyes off Jesus, we begin to flounder in the race of life. We need to keep our eyes on the goal. Run the race to win and receive this eternal life with Jesus. Secondly, let's look at recognizing the danger of temptation. So beginning this chapter, the next chapter, we've been reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning chapter 10, Paul begins to write about the Israelites wandering in the wilderness. And God was with them. He provided for them physically and spiritually. And in verse 5, it says that with most of them, God was not pleased and they died in the desert. They did not enter the promised land. In a sense, they did not finish the race that God had for them. Why not? Well, he tells us in verse 6. He says, now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Now, when there's a quotation in Scripture, you need to go back and see where it was quoted from. This was quoted from, actually I don't have the exact reference, but it was taken from the incident of the golden calf. And Moses was up on the mountain receiving the, commandment, the Ten Commandments from God. Uh, he was up there for a while. He was up there for 40 days. And the people down below thought he disappeared and was never coming back. And for some reason, they created a golden calf and began to worship it. Here, God had just brought them out of Egypt. And now they were worshiping an idol, one of the idols that they worshiped back in Egypt. And so God wasn't happy with it. Uh, many were killed by the Levites who went through and began to, uh, under God's direction, kill the people that were worshiping this idol. God sent a plague and tens of thousands more perished. They did not finish the race. They did not 
receive their prize. And the people who died in the wilderness of Israel stand as an example to us today to warn us about the danger of giving in to temptation. And where did the temptation come in this story? It came from an idol, this golden calf that they worshipped. It's the same place that temptations come to us today. As we go on in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it gives us other examples of Israelites giving into temptation and suffering God's judgment. And Paul tells us in verse 12, after going through these examples, he said, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. To stand is to stand by grace, by faith in God as a believer. And yet as believers, we must be alert to keep standing in faith, being careful that we do not fall away. And then God gives us a wonderful promise, a promise of how we can escape the temptations that each one of us encounters in life. Temptations are designed to draw us away from God to worship and serve the idols that are all around us. But God tells us in verse 13, he promises no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So let's look at this promise, a wonderful promise, a great verse to memorize or write on a note card and put up on your refrigerator or wherever you can notice it. First of all, your temptations are no stronger than the temptations other people face. The lie of the enemy is, well, my temptation is so much stronger that I can be excused for giving into it because nobody else could stand up under this temptation. I have really must have much stronger temptations than other people. So, well, no, no temptation that is not common to man. You're being tempted like everybody else. You're being tempted like Jesus was tempted. When we're not, well, we'll get, we'll get to that uh, in a minute. God then says that he's going to protect us from any temptation that is too strong for you to resist. And so in a sense, God puts a hedge around us and he says, I know what you're capable of resisting with my help. And I'm not going to let anything come against you that you're not able to resist with my help. And so with every temptation that God allows into your life, and he does allow temptations into each of our lives, he's going to provide you with an escape hatch, a way out, a way not to give in to the temptation. All we have to do is stand firm against that temptation. Now, let's think about two different ways that we can be especially vulnerable to the temptations of the enemy. The first way that we can be vulnerable to temptation is is when we're isolated from other believers, when we're all on our own. It's just like in a flock of sheep. You know, if the sheep are together with the shepherd, they're protected. The sheep wanders off away from the shepherd, away from the other sheep, or they're a prime target for the wolves or the robbers or whatever it may be. And so we are vulnerable to temptations when we're isolated from other believers. When we're not regularly around other believers in prayer and worship, we begin to be targets for temptation. And so when we're around other believers, it serves as a protection because we can pray for one another. We can encourage one another. Unfortunately, this pandemic that we're going through has 
isolated many believers from their church families for extended periods of time. We need to be careful during the pandemic. We shouldn't keep ourselves isolated from our church family. We must be connected in different ways. The second way that we can be vulnerable to temptation is really the opposite situation. We're vulnerable to temptation when we're around a lot of negative peer pressure from society around us or friends, acquaintances, could even be relatives. Now, of course, if we're not if we are not regularly being strengthened by what I would call positive peer pressure from other believers, the cultural pressures around us are harder to resist. And so we must stand firm in our church family, not succumb to the negative peer pressure of our society. But the good news is that God promises that no matter the temptation, He's always going to provide a, a way of escape. And all we have to do is find that way that He shows to us. Finally, Paul writes to us to flee from idolatry. Verse 14, therefore, after all these things he's talked about, running the race, example of the Old Testament Israelites, he says, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Now, this command was written not to unbelievers, beloved to the people he loved at the church at Corinth. They were to flee from idolatry. What do you flee from? You flee from something dangerous, you know, of Instinctively, if you're walking along a path and you see a snake slithering by, you flee because it could be poisonous. Uh, you flee from dangerous things. So we mustn't play around with idols. We must get as far away from them as possible. He goes on in verse 15. I says, I speak to you as sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Now, these verses are speaking about communion, the Lord's Supper, when we take uh, the, the uh, cup, which represents the blood of Christ. We take the bread, which represents the broken body of Christ. It says it's a participation. The Greek word is koinonia. It's the same word we use for fellowship. It's, it's fellowshipping with God. We are in fellowship with Him and we're in fellowship with our fellow believers in the church family. And so maintaining your fellowship with God and other believers is key to fleeing from idols. Now he goes on to say in verse 20, he says, I imply that what pagans, that's unbelievers, sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. So again, in these verses, as we saw in Psalms, we see that pagans or unbelievers worship or, or serve idols. When they do that, they're being participants or having fellowship with demons. And these verses say you can't do that. You can't have fellowship with God and fellowship with demons at the same time. It, it doesn't work that way. In fact, that's what the Israelites tried to do throughout their history. They, they tried to serve God and, and serve the idols of the land as well. They thought they'd have the best of both worlds, but it didn't work that way. If you're serving idols at all, you're not serving God. And so that's why God's judgment came upon them. God was not impressed. And so the second aspect of fleeing idols is to eliminate all fellowship with any idols and the demonic powers behind them. Now, every time I have a message on idols, I have to fight the concept 
within myself and in our country that really idols aren't a problem for us. Again, when I speak of an idol, an image comes to my mind of you know, a little stone statue and some primitive tribes bowing down and worshiping him in some, some uh, primitive place of the world. And there are idols there. I make no mistake about it. But idols are all around us. Idols are what causes us to sin, and we all sin uh, from time to time, even as believers. And every time that we sin, we're serving and worshiping an idol. Because when we sin, that idol has become more important to us than serving God. And so the first key to victory is recognizing what idols are am I battling with? What idols are you battling with? And they're different for any one of us, for all of us. And so think about any sin that you might struggle with on a, on a regular basis. Behind that sin is an idol that you need to win the victory over. If you have an addiction of any kind, there can be all kinds of addiction. We think, again, of addictions as, um, you know, chemical addictions, alcohol, drugs, and those are clearly addictions. But you can be addicted to all kinds of things that are not chemical addictions. It's something you habitually do that's, that's wrong. Uh, and that is an idol in your life. And behind that addiction that's hard to break free from is, is demonic powers. Idols can be even what we would call little sins. And little sins have a way of growing bigger and bigger. One of the besetting sins and idols of our time, I believe, is simply fear and worry. Fear and worry can be idols. When we put other things, perhaps ourselves, in a place more important than God. In particular, fear and worry concerning the pandemic. Now, COVID can be, for people, a very serious illness. We need to use wisdom in taking appropriate precautions. But when fear and worry consume our lives, then something is wrong. When fear prevents us from having any relationship with our church family and even drawing us away from our relationship with God, being so full of fear and worry, then an idol is at work. And what idols do is they call us to do things that are contrary to what God's word says. And Jesus clearly told us, don't worry. It was a command about anything. Why? Because as you seek God's kingdom first, he's going to provide for everything you need. And what do we worry about? That we won't have what we need or something is going to happen to us that's not good. But as we serve God, he's going to take care of us. He's going to protect us. And so ask for God's help to build your relationships or your relationship with him in the area that you may struggle with, whatever it may be. And flee from the influence of the idol that's behind that sin. And God has promised that he's going to provide a way of escape from every temptation that may come into our lives. Now, if you're a believer here this morning, God wants you to run the race of life to win. He wants you to win with self-control. Winning is being welcomed by Jesus into eternal life. Winning isn't automatic. We have to recognize the danger of temptation around us to resist it if we give in to temptation it's going to sidetrack us in this race of life and we need to get back on track 
keeping our eyes on Jesus. And so we must be alert. There's idols all around us in our culture. There's nothing new. There's been idols all around people throughout human history. God desires for us to, to grow in our fellowship with one another in the church family in the different ways, whether it's in person or whether it's virtual. Those are all ways that God has given to us to stay in fellowship, to stay in community, to receive protection and encouragement from one another. We must also stand together against the peer pressure of our society that would seek to pull us away from God. And as we keep our eyes on Jesus, as we resist the temptations around us, then God promises to help us to find a way of escape from every temptation that may come into our lives. And as we run this race of life for Jesus, God wants to use us to get those who are not yet in the race in the race. They're watching us. And as we run, keeping our eyes on Jesus, come on, get in the race with me. And so this morning, I want to give you people here an opportunity to get in the race. If you're not, not sure if you're in the race this morning, to get in the race with Jesus as the goal at the end of the race, you need to do three things. First of all, you need to admit that you've sinned. And that's what's keeping you from being in the race. Uh, sin in our lives has broken our relationship with God. And Jesus is the only way that relationship can be healed. And so we admit that we've sinned. We believe that Jesus died on the cross, that our sins might be forgiven. He paid the penalty for our sins. We ask Jesus to forgive us, to come into our lives, and we commit our lives to following him as our Lord and Savior, which is really keeping our eyes on him in the race of life. So I'd like to ask everyone right now to bow your heads, and we're going to pray. If you never prayed a prayer like this before, I'd encourage you to pray along with me. Or perhaps you prayed a prayer in the past. And you feel like you've wandered off. Maybe you're not on track with God. And I'd encourage you to recommit your life this morning. Pray something like this. Say, Father, today, I admit that I've sinned. I've given in to temptation and I've got my eyes off you. Please forgive me. I believe Jesus died on the cross that my sins might be forgiven. I don't totally understand it, but I believe he paid the penalty for my sin. That I might get on the race towards you. Come into my life. I commit myself to following you and your plan and your word all the days of my life. For those of us who are believers, let's pray as well. Father, today, we thank you for your word, for your encouragement to run the race of life to win. God, we pray that you'd forgive us for the times that we haven't exercised self-control. Haven't exercised self-control in training our lives for righteousness. Haven't exercised self-control in resisting temptation. Haven't exercised self-control in keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. May that fruit of the spirit of self-control grow in our lives so that we might run with greater direction, with greater purpose. May we recognize the danger of temptation to sidetrack us, to make us less effective, to get us worshiping idols rather than you. May, may our discernment be increased that we might 
be alert to temptation and then we would look to find that way of escape that we would not give into it. God, we want to flee from idolatry. Give us, again, discernment to see the idols all around us. The ones that we battle with uh, that you want to give us freedom from. We pray, God, that we would help others to find freedom from the idols that are dominating their lives as well. That they would come into the family of God, become children of God. Today we pray, God, with the other people praying as well for the people around the world that have yet to hear about Jesus, have yet to hear about freedom from sin, from temptation, from idols, God. We pray, God, that the missionaries that we support, the missionaries that are all around the world, God, that they would be effective in reaching the lost for you. We pray they'd have the necessary resources and funds, that you would protect them, God, that you would give, uh, cause the people's hearts to be open to the gospel. We pray for that around the world, and we pray for that right here in St. Louis, that people's hearts would be open to the gospel, to hearing about Jesus and submitting their lives to him in this year, 2021. Use us, God, we pray, to reach more people for Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. If you made a commitment to Jesus Christ this morning, I'd like to ask you to check a box on the back of your Connect card. Place it in the offering so that we can pray for you. If you're listening online, uh, if you made a commitment to Jesus, there should be a link below this video that you can check. And we will pray for you and give you some more helpful materials as well.